Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today with us is former PR spokesman for, uh, well, a Democratic administration, <laughs> Joe Lockhart who's going to join us and talk to us a little bit about the recent goings on on the campaign trail, including the latest Joe Biden faux scandal brought to you by the GOP and Donald Trump. We'll be right back. So uh, once again, I am Brian Karam. This is Just Ask the Question. With us is Joe Lockhart. And Joe, I'm just going to ask you the question. Uh, you sent out a tweet today saying, if the GOP thinks the families of the candidates should be an issue, then let's do it. Let's talk about the dozens of legal settlements, convictions against the company. Trump says his kids run. Let's talk about the thousands of times Trump org has been sued. And you did this. You said you were just angry. But what was this in response to and why did you do it? Well, you know, the Republicans are looking for anything and they've learned to manufacture uh, information, just make it up out of whole cloth, throw it out there and know the way, you know, the sausage is made in the media, you know, the big media industrial complex. Uh, and it's predictable. You know, you have your uh, feeder systems, the New York Post, Fox News, the Daily Caller, Infowars, Rush Limbaugh. And they inevitably feed up to the mainstream media because the mainstream media has not figured out a way to ignore something. You know, it's the, this has been going on since I was in the White House when I'd argue with the reporters saying, how can you do the story? You know, it's not true. And they'd say, well, it's all over talk radio, which means it's out there, which means we're helping you by putting it in some context. And I'd say, you're not helping me. You're helping yourself. You know, I, you know, the best thing you could do is ignore it. So they don't so they, they don't know how to do it. So I think what really prompted, you know, my uh, tirade this morning. Uh, and you was, went on for a while. You had a lot of tags on this tweet. I, I was laughing. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, got I, going, baby. <laughs> I, 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 well, but it, and it was easy. I mean, you know, some of the times when you when you're when you're doing a tweet thread, you do a bunch of research and you just right. say, OK, I really want to lay out some important points. And sometimes it takes 15, you know, tweets right. in a thread. This one I just started and I got to tweet 12 and I realized I was getting tired of typing. I had not run out of material yet. And the point is. Yeah, friends, let me know what I missed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And because I really did want to know what I missed. But the, the, the point is, is we're not playing by the same set of rules right now. Well, you, yeah. and you, well, before we started, and, and this is what I really want to talk about, you talk about uh, the problem with the press, and you just hinted at it here. Um, and if anyone wants to see this tweet and in, in all of it in its entirety, go to at Joe Lockhart, because it's absolutely, it, it, it lays it out 
right there, all the things that Trump has done. I find it as a reporter trying to, to you know, write about real stuff, it's increasingly difficult when there's stuff made up and you've got to stop and it demands an answer and how do you deal with it? And that's what you were talking about. What's your frustration? What do you think the answer is? Well, I mean, just to go back to the, uh, the children of the candidates, the children of the candidates don't become president of the United States. Right. The candidate becomes president. And I've always had a bias um, against involving any candidate's children, particularly if they're young. But I don't you know if they're 40 years old or 50 years old, they're not running. And um, it's it's just absolutely insane that given that Donald Trump's children are walking Rico cases, that somehow Hunter Biden, who is who, you know, is a guy. Hunter is a friend of mine, so I'll be up very yeah. upfront about this. Yeah, known him for a, known him for a long time. You know, he he is he's got a huge soul, and it's troubled all the way through. And he's dealt with addiction. He's dealt with family tragedy and he is far from perfect, but he's not going to be president and he has done nothing illegal. He showed some bad judgment and he acknowledged it and said, I was wrong to do this. I was bad judgment. I'm going away. And that's where it should have been left. And that's where I, you know, I, again, I, I've got no interest in getting up every morning in a rage to go after Ivanka Trump or Donald Trump Jr. Right. But if you're going to put somebody else's kids in the barrel, then you got to expect them to get in the barrel too. And the fact of the matter is these, these kids have gotten off relatively scot-free. They have, uh, you know, it's, as I said in my tweet, when you get finished with, you know, the three kids, you get to the mother load, you get to the son-in-law, <laughs> uh, the, the guy who was running foreign policy, running the campaign and doing billions of dollars of debt deals to get himself out of uh, some disastrous real estate deals, combining them, you know, saying to uh, the government of, of Gutter um, that uh, we'll change our policy because you won't give me a loan. And all of a sudden, the Saudis come through with a loan and the Saudis and Gutter are, you know, are close to war at every right. moment. And our policy changed to bail Jared Kushner out. Now, it matters more that he works in the White House than someone yeah, like Hunter Biden. That, that matters a lot more. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is we're going to spend more time in the most crucial part of this campaign where we're deciding the future of the country. We're going to spend more time talking about Hunter Biden than we're going to be talking about what I think are a, a criminal enterprise, the Trump family. And we're going to do it. And the media is going to do it with their eyes wide open. They're going to do it and they're going to feel dirty doing it but they're going to do it anyway. And that's the problem. Well, yeah, and uh, to your point today, when Donald Trump was getting on Air Force One and the press pool uh, questioned him, he accused Jeff Mason, Trump accused Jeff Mason of being a criminal for not reporting more on Hunter Biden. So there is the pressure from above. There's a pressure from the right saying, look, you are, you are left-wing media, you're leftist because you won't report on this. But at the end of the day, See, what, where I get upset about is that we don't push back and say, look, these aren't facts. If, if, they were, if this were factual, we'd be all over it. But it isn't. And I don't understand why, why we don't just stand up and go, look, because I will. I'll say, look, this is bullshit. I'm not reporting on bullshit. But that, that seems to be, to me, that's where we fail. 
is we don't push back when it is bullshit. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, I was talking to um, retired general Mark Hurtling uh, recently, and I had been talking about um, the problem in the media and the problem between Democrats and Republicans as being asymmetrical warfare, that you weren't fighting, you know, with the same on the same battlefield with the same weapons. And he corrected me. He said, it's not asymmetrical. It's what he calls insurgency warfare, ah. where, where one side plays by a, a common set of code of ethics and rules. And then there's an insurgency, um, and, you know, and many insurgencies are terrorists who will play by any rule to, uh, to overturn, you know, what's the common custom, the common set of norms uh, for a society. So this, this story is, is a perfect example of this. It is much more likely that the Russians um, manufactured this entire story yeah. uh, than Hunter Biden had anything to do with it. But the mainstream media, and again, I'm part of it. You're part of it. Right. So, so I wish I had, if I had a solution, I'd say what it is. And I wouldn't, I'm not just being critical of everybody else. More care is going into checking out the Russian angle, which we're all pretty sure is true because we have an enormous amount of evidence, but we have a standard of reporting where we won't go on the air or others won't go on the air until they know for sure that someone that can prove that the Russians did it. But the insurgents throw out there that Hunter Biden did this, this, and this. The standard gets lowered when covering the insurgents because you, you feel like, well, they're saying it, so we have to do something with it. Um, you know, we, we know it's not the truth, but he's the president or it's his campaign. Yeah, and, and, you know, we've got to cover both sides. And it is, you know, there is a gaping cultural problem um, that Democrats and reporters share. And it's not a liberal bias. It's a adherence to uh, a set of norms for how you conduct yourself and how you do business, where the Republicans have now, under Donald Trump's leadership, mean, fully opted out of it, fully. Professionalism and adult-like thinking. Yeah, yeah. And, that, <laughs> and that, that doesn't mean, and I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people in my party, some of them good friends of mine, who are like, you know, Democrats are such damn wimps. Why don't they start fighting fire with fire? Why are we taking a butter knife into, you know, a... And we'll all get burned and, down. And, and my point is that in the long run, that doesn't work. Um, and that the media... Uh, in, a, in a very odd way, this is why this thing is so damn complicated. The media holds Democrats to a much different standard. We hold the, I will say that we hold the Democrats to a higher standard. Yeah, it's, I, would, I would say higher. I said different on purpose, though, because. No, but you're right, because I've had discussion with reporters where it's like, well, it's a Democrat. They're expected to do X, Y, or Z. The Republicans don't care. So, I mean, there is an acknowledgement among reporters that there are two different standards for the two different parties. And it's justified by saying, look, one party is, well, some say one is the party of no head and one is the part, uh, party of no heart. 
but but no i don't think it's that i think it's i i've said that in jest but i agree i don't think that's it but i think what it is is that there is the idea that there are two political parties major political parties and both of them hold uh, a great deal of power in offices uh political offices in the country so you have to talk to the republicans even though many people that i know are republicans these days hold their nose while doing it because they figure that the republican party has sold its soul to become you know uh the party over country party yeah i i actually think there's a parallel between um the way america used to be viewed in the world and the way we are now and and this sort of different standards to me it's the difference between an adult and a child i agree the adult is the one who you hold to a higher standard because they're an adult they know what they're doing and when they lie to you they're 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 um abusing your trust uh and, and it's taken very seriously and it's always it's always on the adult to figure it out look at what's going on in the hill right now is there any pressure on Mitch McConnell to get a stimulus bill done? No. No. But you can't turn on the TV without or read a newspaper without someone saying, why hasn't Nancy Pelosi gotten it done? Right. Because she's the she's the adult in the room. Uh, and it goes to the world before, you know, one of the great frustrations doing communications around the U.S. government is you often get blamed for a whole bunch of things that you're not at fault for, <laughs> but as the adult in the room, you take it because it helps move the process forward. It right. keeps the world safer. It keeps the world more. Pro you get, you know, it's like the French go out and get to criticize you for everything in the world, things that they've done. They're the children in this little metaphor. And you take it because that's the price of getting the deal. And as the adult, the deal is what matters, you know, sort of continuity, uh, peace, you know, the world capital markets, all of those things. And that's what's happened, you know, here in the party where, you know, the reporters don't take um, the Republicans seriously, but they still report on them in this in in a way that bestows seriousness on them. The other piece of this and, and this this part isn't new, but, you know, this and uh, we've both been around the track a couple of times. You know, journalists are taught to cover a story as in something happened and then it's he said, she said. And the fact of the matter is, or he said, he said, or she said, she said, the fact of the matter now is one group of people consistently lie and one group of people put their best foot lie. forward, but can snow what the other group consistently tries to stay to in, this, the truth, in right. the same neighborhood of the truth. Right, right. You know, and... You know, it's like one group. Um, well, let we'll, me we'll say you. they'll say one group is will say uh, the president is behaving erratically. The other group will say that uh, Nancy Pelosi is a schizophrenic, uh, right. bi bipolar, crazy person who should be committed. And then you guys, I love when I say you guys in the media, you say guys. he said, she said, and it's like. There's, you know, there is, there, this is. Context is everything. Yeah, and absolutely. It, and there are two, th two points to what you've said that I, first of all, let's go back to the, the child and adult metaphor. I've used that in the White House. And I have to tell you, having come 
having come and gone since Reagan. And, you know, I remember your White House, and in a case anybody doesn't know, it'll be in the introduction, but you were there during the Clinton administration. Yeah. There, the senior staffers in that White House, in the communication staff, all were always had more experience than anyone else and than many reporters sometimes. Today, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with literal children. And it's not just my advanced age, but it's the fact that those that are in the White House have no understanding of the, uh, the history of what they're dealing with. They, there's no institutional memory going on in that White House. They, they're divorced from reality. The things that you and I were, were used to and have been used to as far as how you deal with people has been thrown out the window so that they see their role simply as a propagandist. And their children, literally kids in their 20s, and I, I, you know, I don't remember how old the press secretary is, early 30s, but they don't have the experience to be there or even know what it is that their job is. They only know to pay fealty to, to Donald Trump. So in a very real sense, you are dealing with adults and children. And that's yeah. because Donald Trump can't find anybody else to work for him with the experience because they wouldn't put up with his nonsense. Yeah, Only the I, kids will. Here, here's, I, I'll, I'm going to- I had a second point, but go ahead. Okay, no, but I'm going to disagree with this one point a little bit, which is, I don't think it's age. Um, no, it's experience. Because, because you look at um, you look at Joe Biden's campaign, and he's got some twenty something and thirty something. So yeah. the kid, the, they are just really good at their jobs. I think what it is is, and and even when I when I was in the White House, most of my staff was in their twenties. Yeah, but you weren't. But well, but it wasn't <laughs> had- because it wasn't because of um, my age. There it- was a there was a common commitment among all of us that we wanted to win. You know, we wanted to like have our ideas win the day, but not at the expense of the country. But you and, and knew what, what the Posse Comitatus Act was. Yes. You knew what the Constitution read. But I'm it's, telling but, you, there are people there today, they want the same thing, but they don't have, and, and maybe just saying it by age is, is not fair, but it, I think it's a combination of, it's a combination of three things, age, experience, and who they work for. And the fact is who they work for, he only wants people who will say yes to him. So the very brightest, even of the young people, aren't going to be there. And so hence, I, I think the age, the lack of experience and who Donald Trump is all plays into that child versus adult-like mentality. Yeah. And, and the, only, the only point that I'm trying to, and it's a, it's a, it's a nuance point, um, yeah. We love nuance. And, 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 and so the, the, the nuance here is, you know, even if you're 25 and you don't have a lot of experience, and even if you're not worldly or had studied the Constitution, it's more important to be committed and, 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 and to be loyal to the country first and not ah, the president. And I, I think what, what my group was is, again, we were very aggressive about trying to win. We, we believed in the president and we, we used whatever uh, methods we could to do it, but we would never step over that line where the president's victory would result in something that lowered America's standing in the world or lowered uh, the ability to govern the country. These guys don't give a shit about that. Yeah. The only thing they care about. And that that's was my why, second yeah, point. And that's the, that's, that that's why they are pure propagandists. They will do anything. I mean, 
the idea that some of the words that come out of the press secretary's mouth, some of the words that come out of, you know, the, the king of the written statement, Judd Deere, whoever the hell he is, <laughs> who, who, you know, probably, you know, probably still goes home, you know, and lives in his mother's basement. But he attacks every institution in America. Uh, like somehow he has some standing to do that. He doesn't. And neither, and by the way, as the press secretary, neither did I, because all I was was the person who was trying to keep you informed on what the president was doing and thinking. So I didn't, you know, it was per, certainly on legislative things, I'd say, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell's got this all wrong and here's why. But right. never in the personal terms that they take on anyone who criticizes the president. Well, yeah, I, simply because I asked a, a very pointed question about will you be willing to uh, win, lose, or draw, uh, commit to a, a peaceful transfer of power, <laughs> the next day the press secretary said I was deranged. So <laughs> I yeah. took that as a, as a badge of honor. <laughs> so I, 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 I hear you. <laughs> when, when, the, when the president went after me personally for something, and you know the, the, the 22nd background on this, was uh, he kept raising the cognitive decline of Biden. We knew right. that he'd been rushed to the hospital one day. They would never tell us what it was. November. Uh, in November of last year. Last year. And I simply, and I posed it as a question. I said, is the president hiding the fact that he had a stroke? Because there were a bunch of doctors saying the way he walked, the way he stood, yep. all, all of these things, just as a question. And the president came back at me personally. And I had people saying, oh my God, you know, you, you, you must feel intimidated. You must feel terrible. I was like, no, I, <laughs> I feel validated. Yeah, like, thank you. <laughs> you know, like, no, I, you know, let's do two shows on Saturday, Don, you know, I, I'm ready. I'll be here all week. Try the video. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I, I felt the same way. And, and, but the thing is, is, you know, you've got under his skin when he responds that way. And that's, and when you've gotten under his skin, you know it's because you've told the truth and he doesn't want to hear the truth. Oh, yeah. No, and, well, he doesn't want, he has his own truth, which is, that's, which- Point well uh, taken. Yeah, and, but he, and he doesn't want his, ver, his own truth ever challenged by facts and reality. And, and that brings, and before we go to the break, that brings me back to the Hunter Biden story. So I have researched this because if it is a story, I'm obligated to report it, but I'm not obligated to report one man's silliness. I, and I, you know, there are stories as a reporter, I feel there are two sides to a story. Sometimes there are three, sometimes there's only one. The sun rises in the East, the Holocaust happened and by God, global warming is real. So I don't care if you have an opinion contrary to that. I'm not interviewing Holocaust deniers or science deniers or the Flat Earth Society, because I think they're nuts. But when you look at the Hunter story, tell me, where is it? I can't find anything that tells me that this story has the value and, and to, to continue discussing it every day until the end of the uh, campaign. It reminds me a lot of what he tried to do in 2016 with Hillary. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're a Democrat, but go for it. No, I, I would, um, I'd say a couple of things. First is, um, 
if everything in the New York Post story is true, everything, right? It's it's a it's it's not that big a deal. We take exactly. a step back. It's this is Trump does, um, you know, Trump does three things worse every every day when he wakes up before he has his morning constitutional. Uh, I'd and, say every and, hour of every day. Okay, yeah. every hour every day. So even if it's all true, um, it really doesn't shed any light on Joe Biden's ability to govern. Um, uh, but, you know, based on the face of the story. Now, it's not true. So let's be clear. I'm not arguing that, right. that, that it is. But, you know, reporting used to be very different. And this is where I show my age, um, which Uh-oh. was you used to, you know, you, you used to pull on the string and see where it went. But you didn't do a story every day saying, here's what piece of string I found today. You waited till you knew the story was true or it wasn't. And you know what? If someone beats you to it, big fucking deal you know you'd go find a better story or you'd you'd go out and you know uh go to it's like um you know people think the new york times didn't cover watergate they sure did i mean woodward and bernstein were in the lead but 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 the but the times had a load of good stories on it um and and you know and that's you know but that doesn't happen now now it's got to be and it's this insidious a combination of immediacy and the propaganda networks that are controlled by the right. Uh, it's just, I, I don't know what it is, but every newsroom in the country has MSNBC, Fox, and CNN up somewhere in the newsroom, and they're all looking at it, and they see Hunter Biden popping up for the first 20 minutes of every broadcast. And at some point, they just break and say, we got to cover that story when yeah. they shouldn't. They should go report the story. The difference between reporting a story and covering a story has been lost. I agree. You should, well, you, if, if you've got nothing to say, say nothing. nothing. We went through this thing with this. Uh, this is maybe it's a it's it's uh, off track. But we went through this thing. We, you know, we've gotten all the way through impeachment. Uh, the star report came out, you know, none of this pleasant. We got to the point where we knew we had the votes to win in the Senate. And all of a sudden the Republicans started talking about secret evidence that you had to come to the evidence room to see. No one could see it. And a lot of it surrounded um, a, a woman in Arkansas who alleged You're talking about the 25 20- years before. Right. You're talking yes, about the yeah, Clinton Yeah. Yeah, 25 years before that President Clinton had raped her. Um, Remember that. Uh, but you could only, but the evidence was in a secret room. And, you know, so this was a challenge for me. And um, my answer to that was because saying that's not true gives everybody a hook for the story. President denies he raped this woman. Right. It's the easiest hook in the world. When did and you then stop everyone your wife? <laughs> Yeah, everyone would have done the story, including you, Brian. You yeah. would have done that story. Well, yeah, well, you would have and to I at just, that point. <laughs> yes. So what, what I advocated for and what we did do was just like, and I remember telling people, our strategy is to suck the oxygen out of the air. No one in 1998, 1999, now the rules have changed, was going to go with that kind of story 
based on rumors and you know single source charges. Right. And the fact was day after day, people would ask me questions about this and I'd say, next question. Good for you. I said, if you have some, I, you know, I, I just uh, I said, well, I remember distinctly one day saying, if you have some reporting and you want to share it with the group here, I will try to answer it. If you want to come to me personally with some reporting, but if you just want to repeat something you heard uh, at, at a dinner party last night, try again. Next question. Yeah, that's keeping it in the realm of facts. I doubt that you can yeah. get away with that now, but you, you can't. You can't. The world has the world has overtaken it. And even the my best question is how'd you, how'd you keep James Carville quiet during all that? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we we sent him on a cruise. <laughs> I love James. I I was at a um, when I was interviewing him for Playboy. I'll tell I'll tell this real quick before we go to the break. I was um, I flew with him up to. Uh, where was it? Portland. And it was like, uh, we had spent like three days on the set of the people versus Larry Flint. And I was interviewing, doing the playboy interview with him on Larry Flint's private jet flying to this party that he was going to in a speech he had to make with his wife. And, uh, he met her and he, he said, my, my honey, but you have a fine ass. He said, you better say fine figure for that magazine of yours, Brian. And then he got <laughs> he got up and started talking. And this woman asked him about Jennifer Flowers. And he goes, you think I'm married to this beautiful woman? I go home and talk about Jennifer Flowers? Who the hell cares about Jennifer Flowers? And he went on for about 10 minutes. I, I He tickles me. I don't know how you kept him quiet during all. I always remarked that I, I thought one of the greatest accomplishments of the White House press office during the Clinton impeachment was that uh, James Carville managed to stay out of the headlines for quite a bit? Yeah, well, the um, I would say this: there were there were a lot of people who uh, during the middle of this did not like getting a call from me early in the morning um, because the the fact of the matter is we we um, we survived all that because we were disciplined um, and we didn't. There were you know there were no unforced errors. Uh, it was it was difficult, but uh, and we didn't lie. You never saw. I mean, you know, the, over the whole spectrum of this was Mike McCurry and I doing briefings. Right. None of us ever stood up at that podium and said, "This is all bullshit." There's no. This isn't true. <laughs> right. We didn't. We didn't do that. We didn't. Yeah. One of the reasons was we didn't know the answer uh, right. right away, and um, you know, we came out of it with our credibility. There's. The, the fact of the matter is um, Donald Trump could find a cure for cancer tomorrow and no one would believe him uh, because everyone knows he lies. He doesn't have a single person on his staff that reporters can go to and say, well, this guy always is a straight shooter. So if he says this or this woman is a straight shooter, there's none. No one. No. And on that wonderful thought, we'll take a quick break. and We'll be right back. And we're back with Joe Lockhart, former press secretary for uh, President Bill Clinton. And he uh, has sent out a famous tweet now. That I think you, you went viral for a bit with it, uh, talking about the Joe Biden uh, and his son and uh, the accusations that are swirling around uh, as we head into the last couple of weeks of the um, race. 
I guess I'll stop here, Joe, and ask you, how do you see the race going? What's your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, listen, everybody's paralyzed by 2016. You know, mm-hmm. 2016 hadn't happened. We'd all be sitting around saying, you know, Biden's got this in the bag. Um, so I try to separate 2016 when I look at the race and I look at what are Biden's vulnerabilities. He's in a very strong position right now. There are lots of um, real data points, not sort of bullshit punditry points that show he should win this election. So what is standing in his way? Um, a collapsing debate performance. You just, you know, having, you know, spending 90 minutes doing like Ronald Reagan's last two minutes of the debate in 1984, where he clearly for a minute lost his mind and talked about stuff and didn't know where he was. And, you know, it happens, you know, you, yeah. you, um, so that's important. So that's why I look at him taking a couple of days off, not or a couple of days off the trail no, to prepare been... for the debate. That's just smart, you right. know. I think what the second category um, of what worries me is I there. If you look at some of the voter registration numbers, Republicans have done better in some of the swing states since COVID. I think uh, uh, voter registration almost by definition is a person to person, a touch rather than a text. Um, Republicans never left, you know, the street corner getting people to sign up. Democrats went virtual. I think they may get hurt by that. Um, And I think, you know, a big, the big unknown, and I kind of look at it in the context of groups like QAnon, which I think are groups of people who grew up on conspiracy theories, but didn't vote because they didn't care. I mean, they thought the government was coming in a helicopter to take them away. They still do. And that both sides were in on it. But in Donald Trump, they found one of their own, you know, someone who's just as nuts as them. And I, I, I worry that there's, there are millions of new potential voters out there that we don't, that Democrats don't know about. And if 250,000 of them show up in four or five states, that could be very significant. The last thing I worry about is um, Trump will steal the election, um, that he will find some legal mechanism to keep the votes from being counted and throw this into such uh, a disarray that, you know, the very foundations of our democracy will collapse. Um, is that's the one that scares me the most and I think is least likely to happen. Um, I think the second one um, scares me less, but it is more, it is, uh, uh, more likely. I think the first one is the least likely. Um, I just don't, I think Biden's you know, run a good campaign. He has shown up and done what he's needed to do every single time. Uh, so, I don't think he, you know, I've, listen, I took so much shit from, more from my own people than from the Republicans <laughs> when I said Biden shouldn't debate, that you should never give a the platform to a liar. Um, so I don't think he should debate Thursday night. I but, don't either. I, but I don't having either. said that, having said that, I, I tweeted out recently that the dumbest thing I've said this entire cycle was Biden shouldn't debate because that's that's the decisive moment in this campaign. If you're going to look at one thing, I mean, it's I mean, coronavirus is what the campaign's about. 
But Trump's performance took that little slice of undecideds, you know, maybe seven to nine percent, and they moved to Biden. And yeah. it's going to take an enormous effort to move them back, even to undecided. Um, but if if I'm reading the tea leaves today correctly, I'm not sure Trump's going to be there on Thursday. You have the Bill Stepien letter to the debate group saying we don't we don't want to debate under this, and you've got Biden just launching ad hominem uh, attacks on my friend Christian Welker. You know she's she's an, she's an angry black woman if you didn't know that. Even after he personally picked her to be the debate moderator. I don't know if everybody knows that, but yeah, the yeah. moderators have to be someone that both sides say are real on. And Joe Biden has the final word for Joe Biden. And I've been through this, so I'm not making it up. Yeah. I've been in the room when this happens. And Donald Trump has the last word for Donald Trump. And he was fine with Kristen Welkler until, until the last the couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, and he said it was criminal. Uh, well, he, yeah. he said some very nasty things about her. And look, I've known her for, what, four and a half, five years. She's steady, great, yeah. very good. And, you know, I, I gave her, you know, I sent her an email today. I, I congratulated her when she got the, the job for it. But I also I sent her some advice that Helen Thomas gave me. I was moderating a, a back in the day. It was a Simpson. Uh, you remember a Simpson Mazzoli act? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Ron yeah. Mazzoli. The, the, uh, the immigration thing, right? Right. Yeah. Well, Ron Mazzoli was running and I was I was moderating a debate and what Helen told me was, uh, I'll never forget it. She goes, um, and she goes, I don't care if it's the president, Brian, I don't care who it is. They're the office holders. It's your debate. So, yeah. you know, you, you got to keep them under control. Yeah. And I think that, um, you still do it. I have know, yeah. No, I, you know, listen, I, the, the debate moderators are, are restricted by the kind of dumb rules of the debate commission where they're not supposed to be fact checkers and all of that right my, my modest suggestion is that that is that krista doesn't worry about checking facts but no. she goes back to each Check candidate not. after well well just more importantly she goes back after each of them answers biden or trump and if he doesn't answer the question say but sir that wasn't the question. The question is this. Will you have 30 right. seconds to answer this question? Or if you just don't want to answer it, I'll go to the other side. Right. And I think that uh, is more powerful than cutting off a mic. Uh, I agree with you. you. Know, that's, uh, that's what moderation is. That's, yeah. that's how you are an effective moderator, holding them. The question is this. And then they ramble on. I understand how you feel. But the question is this. Yes, I mean, them you, know, you just question. say you say, Mr. President or Mr. Vice President, you did not answer my question, my right. question. And and for all the grief Chris Wallace took um, and he took and, a lot and he deserved a good, fair amount of it. He figured that out near the end of the debate. Yeah, he, he did, did a little bit of that. And I actually think that was effective And that, you know, you look at, you know, if I, I and listen to the, the Kristen um, is a very close friend of my wife's and, um, you know, she was talking about her last night and, you know, I was saying, ah, maybe she should do this, maybe she should do that. And she was like, you should just, you know, send her an email. And I'm like, the last thing in the world that 
any journalist needs now is some side, some operative on either side sending them an email. I said, she doesn't need my advice. My advice would end up biting both of us in the ass. She's way smarter than me. She'll do fine. Um, That's what I said. I, yeah. I said. She would do very good. For, I, no, and, and all proud. She's a, she's a lot tougher than she, you know. People sometimes um, mistake politeness for weakness. It's not. No, she she can be tough, um, uh, and 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 will be tough. She will not be able to control Donald Trump, but I think she's you know the one thing that Kristen has Who going can? for her. Who yeah. can? Yeah. The one thing the one thing Kristen has going for her now is you know it's like a, a football coach who gets to study a lot of tape. Yeah. She's I guarantee you she's watched the Wallace debate four or five times. She's probably watched the VP debate where I think that. Um, you know, uh, Pence abused Susan Page and, uh, in and a totally ma misogynist way. Yeah. Uh, he wouldn't, I don't think he would have done that to a man, but you know, maybe if mother was sitting with him, he would have. But, uh. um, I, I, but maybe most importantly, she can watch Savannah's town hall. What'd you think of that town hall? I, th I think that Savannah, um, toe, I mean, walk that tightrope as well as you, you possibly could, you know. And I, her, and and I, you know, I wrote a piece for CNN that, um, you know, I, I write a lot of pieces for CNN. Sometimes they get no reaction at all. And it's I never know what. But this one got a little bit because I thought she summed up the entire campaign. And it was like 24 minutes into it when she looked at him and said, for God's sakes, you're the president of the United States. You're not somebody's crazy uncle. And that was yeah. the he's the crazy uncle debate. Yeah, no, even though and it was Mary, a town hall. Did you see Mary Trump's tweet response? Yes, to that? yeah. Well, well, well Philippe, actually, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, my my friend Philippe Brinus was, you know, tweeting about, you know, he is America's crazy uncle, and then yeah. Mary answered him saying, "Well, actually, yeah, yeah." Let's, well, I thought, see, Savannah, if you go back to, there's things I've noticed about Trump that I think uh, will play well for, for Kristen and for it, others who interview him. From my own uh, experience interviewing him, but that town hall and the Axios uh, interview as well, mm -hmm. Jonathan Swan, Trump does not do well if it's a one-on-one -on -one situation and you're able to engage him and go back at him, which is yeah. what Savannah did. And she did exactly what we were talking about. A good moderator does. She would go, you didn't answer the question. Can you go back? Now he's, he's stuck in that seat. He's not going to get up and walk away. And so if you handle yourself politely and correctly, you can nail him. And it was, uh, you know, um, Jonathan Swan from Axios did this exact same thing. Yeah, I had, a, a you know, um, uh, Savannah is a longtime friend of mine. And I, you know, it's one of those things where uh, I just never really think of Savannah as a controversial person. You know, she's just sort of straight down the middle. Yeah. I don't know. I actually don't know if she votes Democratic or Republican. I, I don't know. Um, it, and I don't care. I mean, who cares? Um, uh, and I, you know, pushed back on some people who were saying that, oh, NBC is this and Savannah is a pushover about. And I was like, well, no, she's not. And then people jumped all over me. I then tweeted out after the debate saying, anyone who wants to apologize, my DMs are open. Uh, I, I, I didn't. Did you get any I didn't apologies? get anything. No, I, I got none. But even but it, it goes to your point, which is. You know, I, I don't, I I, th I think of some, a guy like Lester Holt as a really good journalist, but someone who, 
who puts you at ease and gets you to say things you don't want to say as opposed to being tough and in your face. Right. And Lester Holt, who is, you know, the, the epitome of calm, you know, and you know, respect, he got Trump within five minutes to admit he had obstructed justice in a one-on-one interview. Yeah. And it only took, it took Savannah 10 minutes for to get Trump to dig a hole that he could, he did not get out of for the rest of that. And I think you're right. And I think, I'm glad you reminded me of the Jonathan Swan because that was, you know, that might be the single best example of someone who is firm enough to say, stop, that's not true. (coughs) Which, Which the president would get if he did more interviews outside of Fox. And when he's not on Fox, I think he is kind of lulled himself into this, uh, uh, this place where everyone believes everything he says and everyone adores him. And he gets someone who like isn't trying to be obnoxious, but is just trying to hold him to things he said earlier. And, right. you know, he really didn't like it when he'd say something and Savannah would say, but on this date, you said this, which is true. And yeah. a question like that, you can't wriggle out. Now I want to make one more point, which is because I'll forget it. I, I, take one little issue with you, which is go for I, it. I think there is a, a reasonable chance that one of the three people in this debate will leave before it's over. Ah, you know, I can't tell you which one. I mean, cause I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, it is, it is most likely to be Trump. But I agree with you in that setting, but in a one-on-one setting, I think it's exactly, exactly. No, I agree. You can't, well, yeah. You can. I mean, everyone has seen the politicians who take the mic off right. and I've had it happen to me. Out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think his ego in a one-on-one setting would let him do that. Yeah. But I On think a- in, a, in a debate, if he is held to account, and all of a sudden, you know, Biden gets is getting under his skin, the questions getting sent. I think there's a possibility he could walk off. I think there's a possibility that if if Trump. Um, has a mental breakdown on stage that Biden says, this is sad. I, I, I you know, I, I'm worried about your mental health. We're, we're, we're done here. Oh. <laughs> now that and, would be- and I think there's a chance that if it goes really off the rails, that someone in the debate commission whispers in uh, Kristen's ear and says, stop it. We're done. This is, yeah. you know, this is doing no one any good. This is killing our democracy. You know, Pull the plug. So you basically you think this this uh, debate will resemble the first debate? Yeah, and the great part about making a prediction um, that I I'm like I just wrong. made. No, 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 no. Is if I'm wrong, no one's going to remember it. But if I'm right, it's like picking the market crash. <laughs> yeah, that's I will be the the sav- political savant and the most sought after political voice. For at least a week. For and at least a week. For, well, yeah, and the, and, and the Trumpian world, that's a day. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'll take you it. Heard it here, you heard it here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take another short break, and we'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. Uh, I am Brian Karam. It is Just Ask the Question. And with us once again is Joe Lockhart. And Joe, you can see him on uh, CNN. You can catch him on, um, well, uh, Twitter at Joe Lockhart. Anything else you want to plug while we got you here, Joe? 
No, <laughs> I, I just want to plug Brian's show as the best podcast in the history of Western civilization. And I, and I never paid him a dime for that. <laughs> no. God bless you. Well, so let's finish. You, 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 you just lost all of the QAnon uh, yeah, well, uh, listeners of your podcast, though. <laughs> I've already had threats from them. From yeah. Both of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm part of the, I keep being accused of being part of the George Soros uh, 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 satellite. And I'm going, you know, I don't even know the guy and he's never written me a check, but I take his money. Yeah. I, <laughs> If if you want to give him my address, uh, yeah, I'll, right. I'll take check. I'll take cash. Yeah. I'll take SNH whatever. Yeah, <laughs> bearer bonds. Bear I'm, I'm, bearer I need bonds to those too. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gold. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> as we as we move forward, if the election ends up as um, many are saying it will now, what do you do? You anticipate that there will be if Trump? Because this is the question I asked about. A peaceful transfer of power. Do you think there will be problems if, uh, well, if if uh, Biden doesn't win by a, you know a landslide, if it's close? Um, I would. But either way, the question is: Do you anticipate problems after the election and before the inauguration? Yeah, I think I'm in. I'm in the less hysterical camp on this. Um, uh, because I, you know, I've been watching Trump for a very, very long time, long before he ran for president. Uh, I, you know, it's not interesting, but I used to represent one of his business partners, and they were suing each other. So I got a lot of, I got a lot, I got a, as all of them do eventually. Um, That's not new. <laughs> but uh, here's how I see it. Um, I, I don't expect Biden to win by twelve points. Uh, where Trump can't have to say anything. So I, it's, you know, I expect the race to tighten and um, let's presume Biden wins. I think Trump uh, is not advantaged by blood on the streets because Trump is always looking at what his next move is. And his next move is keeping enough credibility to build a Trump news network that can help pay his bills. I think he's going to have um, two main concerns the day after the election. One, staying out of jail uh, once he loses presidential immunity, which right. is not is not a given. You know, no, there's it's just not. I can't tell you which tentacle is going to end up catching him or if any of them are. The second is, how am I going to make a bunch of money fast? Uh, and how am I going to stay? How am I going to feed this ego? that needs to be fed every single moment of every day. And if he's the guy who is inciting people to, and people are being killed all across the country in you know civil unrest, I don't know. It's really hard to see where he's gonna get his corporate backing uh, to set up his next. Uh, I view it a lot more, and again, I don't know this. It's just my instinct. I view it more, a lot more as he's gonna play the victim. He's going to say the deep state beat me. Uh, you know, I'm going to leave because, to, you know, because I love this country more than anything, but I'm not leaving the battlefield and I'm going the battle to regain the country from the deep state and from the Democrats starts right now. And you can watch it on the Trump News Network and you can buy Trump T-shirts, Trump mugs. You can buy Trump steaks. You know, he'll have a university. Again. It's it will be a 
it'll Women all Trump be steaks. Yeah, <laughs> they'll be rump steaks. Yeah, well, they 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 are. That's the best yeah. cut of Trump. But um, <laughs> but he's got to solve. I like how you threw that off. By the way, it was just it was yeah. excellently yeah. played. I, yeah, I I, 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 I throwaway line. I love it. <laughs> I have some experience with guys like you. You know, uh, but he's he's got to survive um and the one thing he does have is survival instincts yes he's not very bright he's not well read uh he's not a particularly interesting person but he does know how to survive he has survival instincts that he got someplace somewhere and i think he's going to look at this you know um uh and say what's the best deal for me here that's how he always operates and I don't know that blood on the streets is the best deal for him. But I don't. I agree with you. But here's my question, and it has less to do with him personally because I, I, I think as you do, he's going to try and plot his next move for him. But he has triggered some pretty dangerous people, and will they operate independently of whatever he does? Sure. And, I, and I'm assuming that those people he's triggered, he can untrigger. And you don't know. There's no way of predicting that. But I think if he takes the, the position of, uh, you know, this, this battle may have been stolen from us, but we're not going to lose this war. Stay with me. We're going to win this war. That, that, that's a powerful statement. Um, Is he is, smart you know, enough to make that statement? Well, he's not. Um, and so that should give everyone pause and he's, he can't admit a mistake, which should give everyone pause. But on the other hand, he owes a billion dollars in the next two years. And that he, he understands. And that he understands. And yeah. he has got to figure out where the, and if he is seen as someone who, you know, and I, God, he'll kill me if he ever hears me, this comparison. But someone like Al Gore, who stepped aside for the good of the country, even though he knew he'd won. Yeah, that buys him. People will loan him money that buys him credibility. He is back in business, you know, and, and, you know, he's a terrible businessman, but these, you know, these guys keep getting bailed out. If he's out there whipping up the troops and people are dying and things are burning, who's going to back him? You know, except well, maybe the Russians. <laughs> Do you take any, uh, do you think there's any credibility to a statement that he might leave the country? Well, he'd have to find a country to take him first. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, wherever the, there's a non-extradition treaty. Yeah, the, <laughs> you know, I like to say that we finally found out that Mexico is going to pay for the wall to keep him out. <laughs> um, and he is. I think the most devastating thing for him is going to be when he writes a letter to his boyfriend in North Korea and his boyfriend breaks up with him. Um, and, you know, that's going to be worse than losing the election. Like, but he wrote me these love letters and he won't let me, he won't let me build Trump Pyongyang. Because uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's my destiny. Um, no, he's not going to leave the country. No one's going to leave the country. Bruce Springsteen's not moving to Australia. We're not all going to Canada. You know, we, we, we somehow survived the last four years. I, I'm reasonably confident that uh, we will be in a better place in January. And it's my hope, based on what we just talked about, that Trump will understand that um, following the Constitution 
is a good thing, not because he believes in the Constitution, but it's a good thing for Donald Trump, and it gets him out of the hole he's in. Because otherwise, um, uh, you know, if he incites civil unrest, there is not the New York State Attorney General, the federal prosecutors that are looking at him, the, the Manhattan DA, no one's going to cut him a break. They're not going to say, we shouldn't put a former president in jail. They're going to say, we need to get this guy into a cell as quickly as possible. Look what he's doing to the country. He he gets that. He, he will understand that. And well, yeah, that, you're right. That's that. the only reason I'm optimistic. Um, and what about undoing what he's done in the last four years? I mean, well, he- well, it's going to take more than four years. Um, and I mean, there's you know, there's stroke of the pen things you can do. Like you can undo executive orders, any executive order that he signed. Biden can undo the first day because that's that's the definite that's the limitation of an executive order. It's not a law. You don't have to get Congress to do anything about it. Um, It's funny. It's unrealistic. I resent 200 executive orders. And and he will. Yeah. You know, I know he'll probably do 10 a day so he can get 20 good days of press out of it. But that's, that's, you know, that's smart. That's just that's just the cynical me talking. Um, um, But um, it's. You know, I think Biden will restore our alliances very quickly based on his relationships. Uh, but uh, Biden is going to take over as a president uh, in, you know, in what could be like a nuclear pandemic winter, winter uh, with an economy that's in full scale depression. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the market doesn't believe it. You know, uh, Dr. Atlas doesn't believe it. Larry Kudlow is at happy hour, I would assume. I, uh, you know, but, I like Larry, but he's nuts. <laughs> well, you know, the, you know, the funny thing is, one of the things I've been doing with my Twitter account, and it, and I, it's just, it's, it's as I remember them. So I just say things like, hey, do you remember when, like, right. I remember. And today's was, do you remember when Wilbur Ross, who was like the big businessman, came in and said that the pandemic would be good for American jobs? Yes. People yes. would stop buying Chinese goods? Yes. Well, I remember that, you know, most people probably don't, but I remember. You got to take that to 60 minutes. It's like Andy Rooney. Yeah, it's, I I remember, you know, it's like. I remember. And by the way, I'm having trouble remembering things these days, but I remember that. Well, God bless you. I, you know, what kills me is when, you know, two days later, people are going, do you remember? Yeah, it was just two days ago that he said it. But the, yeah, there's the so kind of, much crap that goes through so quickly in the Trump White House that it's I have a list and I, I shit you not. I've got a list of probably a thousand questions and issues that I've asked and got no answer to or have been, you know, have, they've just been blown over in the last four years. Yeah. And one of the th- one of the things is, you know, for people listening to this, if you haven't seen it, it's in this vein. I don't Brian, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, a woman by the name of Amy Siskin. Um, yes. Started keeping a diary in the first week of the Trump administration wrote down every time she thought a norm was broken. And um, she published something, something like, I want to say 3000 of the entries, which she said were one tenth of what she actually had in the Washington Post this weekend. And it really is uh, like waking up from a nightmare and then having someone describe every moment of that nightmare to you. That's- and it's, And there are just things that 
you don't remember that at the time you thought this is the worst thing that's ever happened to this country. And, and then two days later, something minutes. worse happened. Yeah. 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 Just wait five minutes. That's, that's been my column for the last four years. I can't. Yeah. And, you know, there was, unless you've been, you can relate to this more than anyone else that I've talked to, except other press people and, and you know, on staff or, or reporters, but the total lack of normalcy in the White House uh, press corps and staff is just frightening to me. The, I, I had a conversation with, uh, another good friend of mine, Sam Donaldson, and I was talking to Sam. He goes, I couldn't do it today, Brian. He goes, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And uh, he doesn't know how we do it, but it's, it's very tough. You know, I, I remember Helen <laughs> telling somebody, and I, I know, I know she gave you good heart of grief, but I mean, <laughs> I remember her, her saying, you know, to a press secretary, uh, how do you think you did today? Was <laughs> I, I thought I did all right. Just wait a day. We're, yeah. you know, let's, we're no, not. I, I, I may have told you the story the last time we spoke, but I'll tell it again because I love Helen's stories. Oh, she used, you know, she used to sit outside the press secretary office starting at about six fifteen in the morning, uh, and most of the her value to the rest of the press corps was she could tell them all when something was up because she could see by who went in and out of the office. It was just basic reporting. But I remember one day I came back from the briefing. Actually, no, it was in the morning because I used to go down and get her coffee. And I, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd stop on the way and get her coffee and bring it up to her. And I don't know, about three weeks into this, she says, how do you like doing the briefings? And I said, Helen, I got to tell you, I was really nervous, but I, 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 I kind of feel like I've hit my stride and, and I feel pretty good about it. She said, just wait, it'll be an albatross that hangs off your neck and you won't be able to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... And you know I'm true. You know that's true because you know yes, Helen better than I do. I know Helen. You, you know those words came exactly out of her I mouth. Really and and I was like, well, Helen, I'm going to go back to work today. Now you have a nice day. Oh my God! I went to the office and like got into the fetal position. Yes. Well, I, I don't know if I've told you this one, but she was the first person I met when I walked into the uh, briefing room in '86. And she said, I know who you are. You're a Karam. And, and I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She goes, any relation, Peter and Foch. And they said, well, that's my great-grandfather and, uh, and my uh, great-uncle. She goes, they're the ones that brought my family to the United States. And I said, oh, great. You know, and she goes, all right, I'm going to introduce you to everybody. So she introduces me to everybody. I had already met Sam in 84 on the campaign trail down in Texas. <clears throat> and the thrill of my early reporting career was out shouting Sam Donaldson to get a question. There you go. <laughs> so she introduces me to Sam and Sam says, Brian, you got to listen. You see this front row of seats here. There's probably 250 years experience in, the, in this front row here. And Helen has about 200 of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Helen turned and said something smart to Sam. And Sam says, hey, Helen, it's okay to have an unexpressed thought. And she looked at him and she goes, Sam, when it comes to you, I have a lot of unexpressed thoughts. <laughs> and, yeah, and by the way, Sam has never, ever had an unexpressed thought. Yes. <laughs> I remember, my, I, I love Sam. And Sam was the I most, do too. Um, you know, for all of the um, theatrics, Sam was the most straight up um, reporter yes. uh, when he came back to the White House. That he used to check in with me every night. Uh, before he went on, he wouldn't read me a script. He'd sort of say, here's what I, my piece has kind of got this angle. Am I, you know, am I like missing something? And most nights I'd be honest with, it. even if it was critical. I'd say, no, 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 you're, you're in the ballpark. 
you know, right. or, or this thing, that part isn't right, but everything else. But every once in a while, he, he would be kind of going down the wrong lane and he would sit and listen. And every once in a while, he'd say, you know what? I gotta, I gotta, I'm, I gotta call you back, you know, cause maybe, maybe you're right. Um, the other, the, the two Sam stories, one is um, he came up one night and it was probably about 6.15. And I said, are you finished with your piece? And he goes, oh, I haven't even sent my script in yet. He goes on the air at 6.30. And I said, Sam, they must be going crazy over there. And he goes, if I send it in at 6.20, they can't change it. <laughs> if I send it in at six o'clock, all of those young kids are going to tell me what my job is. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, I just learned something there. Yeah, that's <laughs> but Sam covered Sam. I mean, uh, you know, I worked for Mike Dukakis and for some reason, ABC decided to send out Sam Donaldson and NBC decided to send out Chris Wallace to cover the right. challenger, like, like a nightmare for, you know, for me. But I remember like on the last day, Sam was pulling some stunt and he, he wouldn't go back to his car in the motorcade and we were holding the whole motorcade up. And I just went up and said, God damn it, Sam, if you do this again, we're just going to leave you. And he looks at me and said, Joe, you're not going to have another day. This was election day. He said, you're not going to be around tomorrow. I'm not going to be covering you tomorrow. And I was like, Sam, have a nice day. I mean, he was right. We, I knew we were going to lose, but he just very calmly said, you're not going to be here tomorrow. Yeah, you're not. We, there, there isn't going to be a motorcade tomorrow. So that's kind of an empty threat. Yeah. <laughs> he was, my favorite uh, thing about him on the South Lawn one time, it was during Reagan. And, you know, during the departures, it used to be, there'd be six, seven, eight, ten of us at most out there on the South Lawn for a departure. Because the president would always just wave and go. It was, yeah. you know. And Sam always got the Sam Donaldson megaphone, you know, question because his voice could carry. And there was, you know, and Reagan would always put his ear up like he couldn't hear and he could hear yeah. everything. Yeah. And so Sam looked at him walking one day and he says, Mr. President, I see you're limping. Does that mean you're a lame duck? And, and Reagan turned around and goes, Sam, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> just to prove his point. Yeah, just to, yeah, just to prove his point. <laughs> yeah it was a uh, but see all those uh, you know i look upon all those times as there were times that it was trying but fun and now it it's just seems like it's all trying and no well fun. and it, it i i don't put it in the category of fun um i put it in the category of everybody had a common goal that's true which, which was What's good for the country? Um, because uncovering a scandal in the White House was good for the country. True. S saying the president's doing something well tonight, he president accomplished something, it's good for the country for the country to know that. Explaining the challenges the president faces. And again, this is, you know, it's um, uh, by this point, nobody under 60 is listening, so I'll just keep going droning on. Uh, <laughs> but Washington was, I got to Washington in 1978 to go to college and Washington was a different place. One of the, well, I um, started as a volunteer on the Carter re-election campaign, eventually got a job. But one of my first jobs was at 7.30 or so, um, I'd be handed a bunch of papers from the campaign headquarters and be told, walk over to this little bar near the White House called the Class Reunion. 
and give Jody Powell this thing. And I'd walk in and there would be Jody Powell knocking back a few with half the press corps. Yeah. And at the and at the same time, up on Capitol Hill at two or three restaurants, Republicans and Democratic members were having dinner together. Yes. Uh, and everybody spoke the same language. And when it came time to fight, everybody fought. And when it came time to stop fighting, everybody stopped fighting. Um, and that's gone. Uh, and the, you know, um, Newt Gingrich, that's where it started. Um, yep. Newt Gingrich. And, uh, you know, Newt Gingrich introduced the whole idea that politics was a zero-sum game. That it, for me to win, you have to lose. Uh, and if and if I, um, I and I can't accept losing. Right. Uh, and my that, party over the country. That's where yes. that started. Yeah. Too. And and you know, listen, Democrats are not pushovers, but at the end no. of the day, they remain, I think, more committed to their country than to their party. And Republicans take advantage of that. Um, and it's why, you know, when it comes to, say, packing the you know, court after the election, if they look at it, there are going to be principal Democrats that vote with the Republicans, and the Republicans know that. And what the Democrats are, have finally figured out is there's no principled Republicans anymore. Um, no. So you have to... And Jeff Flake is considered a principled Republican. There you go. There's yeah, you that's, that's... Sad. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, Joe, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, love to have you back, and it's always a pleasure. And we, we ought to sit there and just talk about old White House stories sometime. Yeah, and I think they'll, they'll call it Grumpy Old Men. That'll, <laughs> be the, that'll, be the, that'll be the name of the podcast. <laughs> there you go. The name of the podcast is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.